0: while the ushers are um, taking up our offering, can I just extend a um, gratitude of thanks to you for um, praying for my wife and us, uh, hated to miss last week, hated to be to be out, um, but she's had some complications from uh, surgery, just been in a lot of pain, It'd been hard to see her go through that, shouldn't necessarily be that way after the surgery that she had and was unexpected, um, but, but uh, we're continuing to trust in the Lord. We know we have a fantastic church family who loves us and cares about us. You guys have been so supportive and offering anything that you can and would do, and we're so so grateful for that. Most of all, we're thankful for your prayer. She is uh, making progress and getting better, and uh, so we, we, we thank you for that. I'm thankful for Steve uh, Alberts. I'm sure you're in here somewhere who who preached last week in my absence after only like a day and a half uh, notice, and so he had to pull that together really quickly. I'm thankful that he made himself available and that he even continued the message series that we were we were in, uh, so that we can pick up where we are today. And so, if you weren't here last week, he covered verses uh, one through eleven of chapter six of Romans. Today, we're going to start in verse twelve. So, if you have your Bible and you want to follow along with me or a device with a Bible app on it, that's where we're going to start today in just a moment is Romans chapter 6 verse 12. But because of what Paul says, starting in verse 12 all the way through the end of the chapter, because it ties in so closely to what Paul had just said in those 11 verses that Steve unpacked last week, I, I want to just review them quickly. Because it's going to be important to set the stage for where we're going and really they all do tie in. And basically what's happened is that, that Paul throughout the first several chapters has been unpacking so much grace, so much freedom, so much forgiveness. And, and he said so much about grace that he senses an objection. He senses people thinking, okay, well, if we have all of this grace, then shouldn't we maybe just sin more so that that grace will increase? And so he just throws the question out there at the beginning of the chapter. And you'd know this if you were here last week because uh, Steve talked about that. And, and what I love is how, how Paul answers them with a question and verse 3 right after right after posing the question should we just sin more so that grace should increase he says guys guys don't you know don't don't you know what it is that i'm about to tell you in other words what i'm about to tell you is so important and will help you answer that question of sin or grace leading to sin Whatever objection you're thinking based upon the grace that I've been talking about, don't you know what it is that I'm about to tell you? And Steve brought this up last week, but again, what he basically begins to say is, don't you know that you are those who have died to sin? And so he says, how can you live in it any longer? You've actually died to sin. And, and, and Steve even talked about this example of, of grafting and how it kind of works. And it's this, this picture of, uh, again, I, I wish I could have brought two huge trees in here and put them on each side and made the illustration way better. But um, we're, we're going with this, right? So we're, we're pretending, you know, this is the, the tree, this is the, the trunk here, and, and, and you're one of the, the, the branches. And, and throughout the, the trunk is filled the power of sin. Right? And the power of sin is flowing through the trunk and into the branches, and that power of sin produces sins as fruit. You have a power of sin that runs through you as a branch that produces sins as fruit. Lust, envy, greed, you know, all of these kinds of sins. And sins can look bad, and sometimes in society they can look good right? But it's this power of sin that is running through us. And Paul says, don't you guys know that you've been cut off from that? That you've died to the power of sin? It's this picture of him grabbing the branch that you were attached to, this trunk, and just saying, this is what I've done to you. You have been separated. You have been removed from the power of sin that you were connected to and was flowing through you. Don't you know that? So how could you step back into sin and want to do that if this is what's true about you. What's even better is, he says, is that's not just the only thing that's true. He didn't rip that off and then leave you on your own. He gives us this idea of union with Christ. And some of you guys know this because you've done it before. Maybe you have a fruit tree and you know what grafting is. I didn't really know what it was until I looked it up. But you can take a branch and you can cut it down to its core. So you remove kind of the, the bark and the outer layer of it and get down to the very very core of it here, and you can take a, no, a whole nother trunk, right so let 's say this is a whole nother tree, a new tree this is, this is uh, uh, Jesus right this is this is him, and and he says that you can actually peel back the bark just a little bit, and you can actually insert to where the the core of this trunk is touching the core of this branch. And fold it back up And then even begin to take some tape Let's see if I can do that No, it fell apart, but we'll make it work So you can take some tape And you can actually begin to wrap it around the two And once you wrap it around And you leave it there And there's probably some other things You might need some glue And some other things to kind of protect it People that really know what it is that they're doing But as long as the core is touching the core And you wrap it together Well, that would all fall apart in front of you guys Wouldn't it? It worked in the first service. All right, but if you get it together, then in real, like grafting, you could take a branch of one fruit tree, put it together like this, and it will eventually um, grow into it together and become part of this life-giving stuff that's flowing through this tree and now will begin to produce new fruit. So when this tree had the power of sin running through it and sins were the fruit that was being produced, now the life-giving good stuff that's inside of this one, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are flowing through into your branch and now will produce them as fruit. we Will produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness in you. And so all throughout the first 10 verses of Romans, he's saying, "Don't, don't you know this is true about you now? Don't you know that you've died to the power of sin, that it's been separated, ripped off, broken, dead, and you've been united to Christ and into something new? We'll put that aside for now. We've been using slides like this to illustrate the exact same thing, and we used it from chapter 5 the other week when we were talking about the difference between being in Adam. So at the very core of our being on the left side, you see, again, think the trunk think the core when we peeled that back and got to the core of the branch the core of the trunk at the very core of our being we have a sin nature that produces sins in us but the moment we say yes to jesus again think core the new nature comes from core touching core we're now in union with jesus christ this is what is different than uh, than who we were before and paul's saying don't you know this This is going to help you answer the question of does grace lead to sin? Or wouldn't it be better if we just sin? And he's going to talk about this and bring it up throughout this chapter over and over again. So Paul reveals these truths. Don't you know them, right? And then he gets to verse 11, and Steve covered this last week. This is the first command that Paul gives throughout this entire letter so far. He's written five and a half chapters, and we finally get to an imperative, a command here. And here's what the command is based on the truth that he just said here. He says, Therefore, in verse 11 count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus some translations say reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive to Christ others say consider yourselves dead to sin but alive to Christ in other words since you are dead to sin since you have been ripped off and are dead to sin since you are alive to Christ now actually consider it to be true right because we can we can know things about that we can know what the bible says about that but sometimes it's hard to believe that that's actually true about us you see what i'm saying because sometimes even though i know that's what paul just said in there it can feel like i'm not dead to sin why in the world do i feel like sinning so much Why do I still sin all the time? Why are there reoccurring sins that I don't want to do but I keep doing over and over and over again if that's really true about me? So Paul says, well, if that's the case, you can end up feeling like that sometimes. And a lot of times this help diagram can be what we sometimes think is actually true then. We begin to think, okay, well, I know what it said and maybe he deposited something good in me, but I know because of what I feel and I know because of what I do that I'm still evil at the core. I know I have a sin nature, and it's battling back and forth, my good nature and my bad nature. And honestly, I don't even feel like that most of the time. I feel like the sin nature is like 90% there, and the 10 is just there. Or maybe it's 99 in 1, or we believe it's not even there at all and so he says this is what you have to do you've got to, it's true that's not what's true about you what's true is is this right you're united to Christ you're different now so reckon it to be true actually believe it actually take it into consideration for your own life listen reckoning doesn't make it true that is something that this You'll hear a lot in our culture, right? If I believe it's true for me, then it's true for me, right? The reckoning doesn't make it true. It's true the moment you say yes to Jesus, whether you believe it for you or not. It happened. The reckoning just allows you to experience what is actually true about you. You see the difference? You're not going to make it true. Jesus is the one that did it. You're not always going to feel like that, but that is an important process so paul's answer to this for the first two things that we've just got to know if we're going to think about grace leading to sin or even having victory over sin in our lives and that kind of thing then the two key words there that paul says is know and reckon right so so know, you got it don't you know what is true about you and once you know it reckon it then to actually be true in your own life And this leads into what Paul is saying in these next several verses. Verse 12, he starts off and says, therefore, again, based on all that stuff that's true about you, what I just said and then you considering it to be true, dead to sin and alive to Christ, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself, Paul says, to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Now, Paul one of the things to note here is that he does not deny that you can still sin even though you are dead to it now and have a new nature. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had the two negative commands to say don't let it rain and don't offer yourself to be an instrument to any part of it, all right? And, and so here's the reason that that is, and, and I think it can be helpful in differentiating, right? I mean, we, even though we've been separated at the core, all right? even though we drill down to the core and we're, we're in union at the core right? I, I can still experience the effects of sin in those outer areas for example each and every one of us are experiencing the effect of sin in our bodies every day because every day we're dying Every day I'm, I'm dying, I'm aging, and the, the dying process is a part of our lives every single day. We are experiencing the effects of sin in our bodies. You think the middle circle. I, I can still feel tempted to sin. I still feel temptation. You still feel temptation to sin. I can still think about sinning in my mind. Sometimes I can have sinful thoughts in my mind, and I can certainly still, through my will, choose to sin, even though those things are true about me. So since that's the case, Paul says, don't let it reign. Don't let it have control over dominion over you, and here's why. Because it doesn't. The core of you is what has control over you, whose possession you're in. That is who you really are, all right? You are dead to sin. You're alive to God. So it's this idea of, and again, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? It's the sin nature, the core. It's like being wrapped in chains and in bondage all around you, all right? He he rips it off same thing if you're thinking about being ripped off the branch it's like the, he unlocks the, the the lock the chains fall off but again it's like us going no i think i'm just still going to put the chains back on and let it rain in my body even though i'm separated from it even though it doesn't own me anymore so so don't do that because it doesn't fit who you are any longer the second negative command, again, was don't, don't offer your bodies, don't offer any part of you to sin. Why? Because if you do, Satan uses you as an instrument of wickedness. It's, it's tool language. It's the, the instrument. Listen, and again, when we, when we think about what Paul's saying here, a tool is not bad. A tool was meant and made to, to be used for good, right? But a tool can be used for good good but a tool can be used for bad as well right you you can use a hammer to destroy something but you can use a hammer to build something great for someone else right so when we're talking about tools we're not talking about nature your bodies your souls are not evil They're good, they're created by God and they're meant to be used. The reason he gave you your personality and mind and emotions and will and how all of that stuff works together and your natural talents that you have in your body was meant to be used for good but it can be used for bad. It's not bad, don't get that sense. It's just if you offer it up as an instrument it can be used for good or bad. So those are the two negative commands based on don't you know who you are and then the positive command was then, okay, so don't do that, but do this instead. Offer yourselves to God, he said in verse 13, as instruments in his hands so that he can use you as a tool to do righteous things. And he says to offer yourselves as instruments as those who have been brought from death to life. Why? Because you have been brought from death to life, right? Right? So so you used to couldn't. When when you were a part of this tree, you could not offer yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. You couldn't produce righteousness no matter how many times you tried and how hard you tried or how much you prayed or how much religion you had. No matter how hard you tried, you weren't going to produce righteous things. You couldn't offer yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. But now you can because you're different. You're in union, so do that. That's who you are. Offer yourselves to him. So Paul's response to all of this, this question, and even the ways that we find victory over it and how we live is to, to, to know, reckon, and offer. Those are the three key words. You, you know who it is that you are in Christ. Don't you know, right? And then once you know it, reckon it to your life. And then offer yourselves to him as an instrument since you are connected and in union with him and he can now work in you and through you to produce righteous things because he's made you righteous already so these are commands that he's given in verse 11 and 12 like bam 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 and then 14 as we go on he goes back to promise An indicative, right? 14, he says, For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. He's not saying don't let sin be your master. He's saying it's not your master. No matter how much you feel temptation, no matter how many times you've stepped into sin as a believer in Christ, it is not your master. It does not own you. You are not Satan's possession. You no longer belong to this tree, even if you've acted like it. You belong to this tree. You're different, right? Sin is no longer master. And he says the reason is because you're not under law. You're not, uh, no longer under the covenant of law. Uh, Paul mentioned the law in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It was a ministry of condemnation. Right? that the law was brought in to condemn you. you, to bring out your failure. Follow this rule, follow this rule. Oh, I failed. Oh, I'm condemned, right? I'm going to try harder. Follow, follow. Oh, I failed. Condemned. Over and over. You're just going to lead to condemnation no matter how hard you try because you're always going to fail. And it's meant to do that, to point you to the need for a Savior, that you couldn't be your own Savior, right? So because of that, sin was your master at one time. When you were under the covenant of law, it was your master, But you're not under a covenant of law anymore. You're under a covenant of grace. Christ has fulfilled the law for you. And now guess who you're in union with? (laughs) Yes. Right? So sin is no longer your master because you're not under law, you're under grace. Verse 15, what then? We have another question, another objection. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? In other words, okay, once again, Paul, if we're so forgiven, if we have all this grace, if we're going to heaven no matter what because I've put my faith and trust in Jesus, then wouldn't it be better for me just to sin? Wouldn't it be better for me if I could just go out and enjoy a lifestyle of sin and all the pleasure associated with it and still get to go to heaven one day? That seems like it would be the best of both worlds, right? And every single one of you in this room have thought that at one time. All Christians at some point in time think it, especially when you're exposed to grace, 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 and what Paul is saying in the Bible and the message of it all along. And they're wondering all these objections. Uh, Paul, if you preach too much grace, it's gonna lead to sinning. People are gonna think that that's what they can get away with. Look at Paul's response to that. By no Means. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, sometimes we think that the real freedom is found in making our own choices and not falling under the authority of anyone else or God right? I feel like doing this, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to be in charge of me. This is my truth. This is what's best for me, and we think that there's so much freedom in being able to choose all of this sin out there, and Paul says, if you think that's what's really happening, If you think that you're living your best life and in all this freedom, enjoying and just kind of dipping your hand in this sin and dipping your hand in this bucket of sin and dipping your hand and saying, I'm just able to enjoy all of this and I'm living the free life and I'm not owned or controlled by anybody and much less held down by God and all this religion that comes with it, he says, you're an idiot. He says, don't you know that you are slaves? You're ultimately, you think that you're free. But he says, here's what's happening. You're nothing more than a dog that Satan has on a leash. You're nothing more than a dog chained up on a leash and in a cage and being spoon-fed by Satan himself. Satan comes along and he entices you a little bit with this particular sin because you're feeling empty on the inside. You're feeling down. You're missing out on life. And you, and you, have the, the, you eat the spoon and, 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 and you're like, that's really good. I experienced some pleasure from that sin. It filled me up, right? That's where the life is. That's where the freedom is, right? And then all of a sudden, what happens? Remember we said there's a hole in your bucket. It it leaks. You're going to get empty again. Guess what happens when you get empty? Satan, can you bring me another bite over here? That was so, I'm empty again. I need it, right? I need it. Can you bring that one around? I need it. You think you're free. I'm running around doing everything that I want to do, but all you're doing is you're a slave to the thing that just got you. He just hooked you, and you're going to go back to it. And then once it gets empty again, you're going back to it again. And then you're going back to it. Guess what? You're owned by it. You think you're free? You think you're enjoying all that? Here's what's really happening. You're a slave to it. You're a dog in a cage on a leash who's being spoon-fed by Satan. You need to see the reality of the situation that you're in. Verse 17. He's talking to Christians here. He says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart. Look at the heart language, the core, the union, right? Uh, The pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Again, Paul's writing to the church at Rome. People who have put their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. They are different. Now, all of these things that Paul said in the first 10 verses are true about them. They're dead to sin, they're alive to Christ. All of those things are true. You're different now. Your heart is different. You're no longer slaves to sin, you're no longer uh, slaves to Christ, you're no longer in the cage. You've been freed from the cage. You're now bound to righteousness in God and all the stuff throughout the entire world that's at His hands, that's meant to be channeled and used in His direction, which are for good and righteous and satisfying and pleasing and abundance and all of this stuff. Why in the world would you go back in the cage? you begin to know who it is that you really are, You begin to see and reckon it to your life that it's really true. You begin to offer yourself to Him to be used as His instrument, and that stuff begins to flow through you. You won't ask questions about going back to the cage. (laughs) But you gotta see it, you gotta know it. Because Satan is so good at convincing us that the life is found in the cage. But it's an illusion, right? That's what he kind of gets into in a few of the next uh, verses. I'm I'm skipping ahead a little bit. but Verse 19, he says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves to slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. He's not saying that, that that will lead to you finally being holy when you offer yourself to him as his instrument, right? What he's saying is, is it will lead to holy behavior and holy things produced on the outside because you're holy on the inside. The core, the union, Jesus is holy, you're united to him, in him you are righteous, in him you are holy. I hear Christians all the time talk about, I wish I could be more holy, and what they're saying is, I wish my behavior could be more holy and make me more holy and that God would be pleased with me and proud of me, but our holiness is not based upon our behavior and those things, it's based on who we are in Christ. Christ's holiness, we're in union with Him, we're holy, so when we make ourselves available to Him, the holiness that we have begins to be manifested outwardly in a visible way. It's there. We offer ourselves to Him as slaves of righteousness, and He... Manifest holy behavior out of us because we're already holy. Verse 20, he says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Again, Satan is so good in convincing us that the real freedom is found in sin. We don't picture the cage, we don't picture the leash. He puts an illusion in front of us and makes us feel like we're we're free and all of these things that are good, but he reminds us that those things that they were involved in when they were slaves to that didn't result in life. They didn't result in what they hoped it would bring them. He's reminding them, don't you remember those things led to death? Those things you were ultimately ashamed of at some point. You were controlled by them. There was emptiness there. There was addiction there. There was shame there. But now, verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He, he reminds them, comes back one more time and reminds them of the, some of the same things that he's been saying, that they've been set free from sin and death. They're no longer associated with the shame of their sin. Now they're slaves of God in union with him, possession. Don't think of that as slaves, as God's a, a master and a drill sergeant and he's down there whipping you into shape and you better do this and you ought not do that or any of those kinds of things. When we're talking, we're talking about ownership, You belong to Him. You're in union with Him. And because you're so intertwined in Him and in union with Him and can't get away from Him, you can't escape the union that you're in. You're stuck in it, right? How much better is the result that's going to lead to holiness and eternal life out of that than when you were associated in the cage and it just led to death? And, and that's what he's trying to show us is that how much better is that than the shame and the death that you were experiencing in those moments. It's so much better because you were getting paid death and now you're gifted eternal life And, and not just one day because, because that's the problem that gets us into the thinking of I got it one day So now I can just sin and do whatever I want to and enjoy everything here. And that's what's going to bring me life right? He said, no, no, no. What you need to understand is the gift of eternal life starts now. This is who you are. You're in union with the one who is eternal life, and as you begin to know that, and you reckon it to your life, and you make yourself available to him, that eternal life now begins to flow through you in a way that, again, channels your gifts and talents and abilities, and you begin to experience that eternal life now. And Paul knows that if you know that, and you reckon it you begin to experience now you're not asking the question can I go back to sin and want to do all those things he goes no once you get a taste of that you'll be going this is way more satisfying this is way more good this is so awesome because it's fulfilling it's satisfying it's meaningful it's purposeful and you won't want to go back to that don't you know who you are don't you know what you have access to know it, reckon it, and offer and experience it, and that stuff goes away. So this is how we begin to have victory over sin in our lives. Some of you, like me, said yes to Jesus a long time ago. But there's certain sins that keep coming up over and over, and there's a period in my life where I'm just going, I... No matter how much I pray, no matter how many Bible studies I'm in, no matter how much I memorize, no matter how many accountability groups I'm in, no matter whatever, I can't stop doing this. Right? In itself, it was so defeating. I felt so worthless, right? Why couldn't I please God and be a part of that? But the reason was because I didn't know this. I didn't know this was true. I honestly still felt like this was true. It's so much a part of me that I can't help it. It's just going to be what it is that I end up doing. But once I begin to see these truths in Romans 6, that this is true, and then once I saw, oh, I've got to actually consider it to be true, even though, and then I'm making myself available to him, and you begin to experience those things, then it begins to flow through you in such a way where you go, that thing felt like it had so much control and kept me in bondage, but now the chains just fall off. Because guess what? Again, if if the sin felt like this and it had so much a just seeing this picture, that that's what's true of me now, has allowed me to experience so much more victory over reoccurring sin in my life because I thought it was there. Just knowing that it's not. That, that the victory's already been won. I'm fighting from a place of victory, in other words, that's already been won and I can just live in rather than me having to figure out all the right ways to memorize and do and think and the steps and all of this stuff to try to be holy and have victory over it. You see the difference? If that's you and you're stuck in this bondage to alcohol or pornography or gossip or greed or whatever or uh, feeling the that's just part of who you are the victory comes and no don't you know then reckon it and offer yourself to him for those of you who maybe have never said yes to jesus and again you've been thinking i the real freedom is found in me being my own boss me being me i don't need to be i don't need have it a god i'm running around and finding freedom i'm enjoying my life i'm not giving my life to jesus and just going to live a life of restriction just be told i can't do this and i can't do that and i can't have any fun The curtain's peeled back, and Satan, Jesus, out of the, Paul says, You got to know the reality. You're a dog stuck on a cage. You're a dog on a leash that Satan is spoon feeding. And you're living under this illusion that you're running around the whole earth enjoying everything when you're feeling empty. And you go back to it and are being spoon fed over and over and over again. And when you stop long enough and see that, you go, That's true. But the good news is that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what it is that you've done, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He came to unlock the cage so that you could be free and experience real life, real meaning, real abundance. And if you'll just receive his grace by faith, all of those things that Paul unpacked in Romans 6 become true about you. You will die to the power of sin in you. You will be united and made alive to God through Christ. You will be righteous in Him. As you begin to know that and learn more about that and reckon it to your life and offer yourself, that living water that that He fills you up with will begin to flow through you, and you will begin to experience ultimate satisfaction, ultimate peace, ultimate fulfillment in a way that all that counterfeit sin never could and so if that's you whether you're here today or whether you're watching online will you receive his free gift of forgiveness and his life it's my prayer and my hope that you will let's pray father we are so thankful for this good news Thank you that when we put our faith in Jesus, we become dead to the power of sin. Thank you that we become alive to you, God, through Christ. Continue to reveal this truth to us. Give us the faith to reckon it to our lives and take ownership of it, even when it doesn't feel that way. As we make ourselves available to you with your life-giving stuff that's flowing in us begin to flow through us and lead to manifestation of the righteousness and the holiness that you've created in us on the inside? Would you allow us to experience real, meaningful, abundant life? Pray for those who have never said yes to you, Lord, that they would open up their hearts to see the truth about the situation that they're in and see the grace and the love and the mercy and the life that is available to them now. Pray for those who have been so defeated by alcohol or pornography and gossip and envy and greed and so many things that we feel entangled by. But know that they really aren't owned by those things no matter how many times they've chosen to go to them that you've already won the victory that they have been removed from that power it is no longer their master convince them of that truth give them the strength enable them to reckon it to their lives to make themselves available for you to give them the power to say no and to experience real life instead. And I pray that they'll experience the chains and the bondage just falling off, finding victory over those things. Please, Lord Jesus. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.